everybody! Welcome back to the Green Light. Green Light. Just kidding, there are only two of us. That is true, yeah. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Whoever gotcha. was listening and thought that there were three of us, gotcha. Gotcha. But it's it's Jackson here. And Lauren. And what do we do, Lauren? We read unproduced plays and screenplays by new and existing writers. And this yes, week, we, do. we are reading The Waiting Room, created by William Leach and written by Blake Benson. Yes, and if those names sound familiar, they it's should. because you are a listener to this show <laughs> consistently. <laughs> because both uh, Will and Blake have been on here. Blake Quite has been on they here both once. They both live with us. Yeah, and, and uh, Blake has been on here once as a writer. Um, and he's also two or three, I think. Yeah. Um, And he's also consistently read with us as has will. So you will recognize their voices and you will get to hear a little bit about uh, a different side of them, especially with will, uh, because he hasn't been on here in a, in a creative side yet. For sure. Uh, Well, not, not a not creative side, but in a, uh, in a writer, in a writer side for sure. Yeah. Just a quick note about that. We did just finish that interview. It's an awesome interview. They're both great, uh, very two well-spoken young gentlemen. Yeah. But the issue is some of our equipment was kind of messing up throughout. So if you hear a little static if you hear a little beeping please ignore it for me we think we have it figured out it's just a just a matter of blowing in our equipment and making sure the dust is out that's pretty much what <laughs> we did yeah we're we're hoping that fixes it well we literally yeah. got a new cord because for we one thought, of our mics because yeah. we thought it was that and then it continued so yeah, gotta, we're not really sure what it is but yeah f- fingers crossed it is it is okay and it's doing well uh but yeah that's that's that yeah. on that I if you want to help us buy new equipment check out our patreon yeah Please do that. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah, we um, we actually got this equipment from Jackson's brother's brother-in-law. So yeah, we were yes. very thankful to get some affordable equipment. So kind equipment. of my brother-in-law? I, I don't guess. know. Is your, is, is your is brother in law also your brother in law? I don't know. Thank you, Scotty. <laughs> brother in law removed. I don't know how yeah. that works. Th- th- thank you, Scotty. Good man. Uh, but yes, let's do a few quick housekeeping things before we jump into our first segment. Um, Let follow me us see. on social media, please. Yeah, uh, at TGL it's underscore pod. And uh, also, if you can find it in the kindness of your hearts, please give us a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We do not have any new ones this week. I checked. Not even any new ratings. What are you doing? Anyway. um, (laughs) Yes. Uh, Also, if you feel really, really, really special and you want to show us how much we mean to you, uh, please... What, What am I saying? I don't uh, know. Donate Maybe to our Patreon. Patreon. I did kind of mention that already, but yeah, we did have lots you? of bonus content. I am out of it. Uh, we have lots of bonus content. We do some ramble episodes once in a while. We do green lit episodes once a month at the five dollar level, and, and we're gonna road do trip that. episodes once every like three months. We're gonna do one of those this month. We haven't decided yet what it's yeah. gonna be, but you know but what? It should be fun. If you want to join our Patreon and have some input, yeah, true. Uh, feel free to tweet at us, or I will probably also create a poll on Patreon. Ooh, um, we have a few with some with some ideas because we do have some ideas floating around for potential greenlit yeah, episodes. Totally, so totally. we'll see what you guys want to do. Yeah, so be on the lookout for that. Pretty please. Yeah, um, I think those are all our big housekeeping also, things. We have another, we have another show. podcast. Who is that podcast? The Mass Singer and Dancer podcast. Yeah. Uh, we're doing the, the current season of The Masked Dancer right now. Yes, it's we are. great. We're having so much fun. Yes, we are. And yeah. All right. Those are all the big That's things. That's enough. So let's get That's into enough. it. All righty. Here for our first segment of the week, before we get into our <laughs> wonderful script and interview, we have our detour segment. This is a segment where we talk about something we have consumed in the past week, whether it been be a TV show, book, movie, whatever uh, you want, et, et cetera. Uh, today, it's been a little bit, I think, since we've had a book. Since we've had a novel. Yeah. Well, I've been stuck on the first Game of Thrones book. For, well, no, actually, we did Deck the Halls like last week. Oh, yeah. That was kind of a mini <laughs> one. Yeah. That was a, that was a very a very tiny one. But 
Uh, how about I start off with mine, then we go the one that we both kind of have, and then we end with yours? Sure. Okay, cool. Uh, so, this is a book that I got from my grandparents, actually, for Christmas. Thank you, grandparents. Ready Player One is a book by Ernest Klein, written in 20, or released in 2011, I guess. It's a science fiction novel, and it's actually his debut novel of Ernest Klein, which is actually really impressive. So, essentially, the story is set in 2045, a bit of a dystopia. The world has kind of uh, gone to crap because of Mm. climate change and different things like that. Most people spend their time in a virtual reality world called Oasis. People can work there, people can go to school there. And you can you can pretty much do most things that you can set your mind to. I mean, it, uh, uh, so essentially, what happens five years before this book begins? The creator of Oasis passes away, and in his will, he sets up this contest where uh, everyone, someone, has to find a Easter egg in this video game. This game that has millions of worlds, millions of planets, things like that. But and if you find the Easter egg, you essentially retain all of the rights to his fortune and creative control over Oasis. So obviously everyone is really wants to do it. And he obvi- the the creator also has a love for 80s culture, 80s movies, books, TV shows, video games, etc. So a-, a lot of the clues are sort of based around that. He gives everyone a first clue. Five years have passed. No one solved it. The story follows uh, a-, a young man named Wade whose avatar is named Parcival. A hint to Percival from King Arthur. Ah. And he is the one, this isn't a huge spoiler because it happened sort of in the first third. He is the one who somehow figures out the first step and then everything sort of snowballs from there. I really enjoyed this book. Awesome. I really, as as Lauren knows, actually. So I started it a couple days ago and, you know, I, I, I read it a, a couple different days in a row, like 30 pages. Yesterday, I sat down and read over 300 pages of this book and mm-hmm. finished it off. It was it's been a long time, I feel like, since I have been able to to sit down and just be so engrossed by a novel that I was that I, I just read it all the way through. But this this one did it, and it was it was a really cool to experience that again. Uh, obviously, if you enjoy the '80s, this book is gonna be awesome for you. Uh, there's so many references. Uh, some of the references are more niche, um, like to to really niche video games or or um, albums, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But some of the things are are, are pretty well known. Like yeah. even I recognize them if I didn't actively participate in them or have seen them. There's a lot of Dungeons and Dragons in the book, which there, there is. apparently is not in the movie. Yeah, I have not seen the movie, but Blake, as you will hear his voice soon, has. Um, and he said that's not really a big part of the movie. However, it's a pretty big part of the book, I would say. The entire first uh, the, the first riddle that you have to solve involves a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And a lot of the... The sort of the way that it's built with hit points, with different inventory that he has a bag of holding that he uses, you know, it, there, there's a lot of things involved with Dungeons and Dragons. So if you also have a love for Dungeons and Dragons, you'll see a lot of things in here that you like. Uh, and yeah, once again, if you have a love for 80s culture, it's just it's a really good book. I think it's uh, 372 pages, at least the copy that I have. Um, and actually, Ready Player Two just came out. So uh, if you're excited for that, um, and and you want to just read the first one, go Check for it. it. Out. I'm probably gonna read the second one as well. I've heard it's not quite as good, and I don't know how they could do a sequel to this. <laughs> but we will see. We'll I see. I believe in you, Ernest Klein. A really great debut novel, I would say. For sure. So the audio was read by Will Wheaton, actually, who was on, on the audio book. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
Anyway, so our second detour, uh, this is kind of one that we've already done. Um, it is Atlanta. Yes. Jackson watched season one when yeah. he did his detour, and then I watched the whole show, uh, just finished it a few days ago. Yeah, and I finished I finished it, by yes, the way. Yes, he did. I have finished it. So yeah, we're here to talk about the series as a whole, and specifically the second season. Um, so I, I really love this show, and... I think that when I first went into it, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I sure. just knew I love community. Donald Glover's great in that. So I think I expected a little more of that style of comedy, and that is not what it is. It's very different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's still very good, obviously. Um, But the biggest thing I took away from this is that there are so many times when it'll do, I mean, like, in the last episode, there's literally kind of like a Chekhov's gun, and I won't really spoil it beyond that. But a lot of things, it seems like things are set up, and... They are always referenced again, but they don't necessarily pay off in the way you expect, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it's, I think a lot of times shows don't surprise me that much anymore, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes stuff like this doesn't surprise me as much anymore because you can see things being set up yeah. and predict how they will pay off. And it's different in a lot of ways. So, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I want to highlight, because I, uh, I finished the second season pretty quickly after I watched the first, but I just wanted to, to talk about it on here. The first season, uh, there's one specific episode yes. that I think is, it's very different from any other episodes. It's bonkers. I would say. And you probably know bonkers. what we're talking about if, if you have seen, seen the show. If you've seen season two, episode six. Yeah, yeah. Season two, episode six is titled Teddy Perkins. And essentially, it you really don't get much of Donald Glover or Paperboy at all. Well, you, you do get a lot of Donald Glover, just not in the way that you expect. <laughs> Should we say it? Should we say it? Well, that? it's not the character. Sure. It's just the actor Donald Glover. <laughs> sure. So, um, yeah, you don't get very much of those characters. Instead, you follow Darius, played by Lakeith Stanfield, for pretty much the entire episode. Mm -hmm. He is going to pick up this uh, sort of vintage piano Has from this rich guy. Keys. Yes, exactly. So he's just going to pick it up because he found it like for free or for super cheap. It is owned by this very wealthy um, uh, uh, older man, I guess. I guess he's older, yeah. but who has very heavy plastic surgery. It's very, very clear. And he's just a very odd character. So essentially, Darius spends the entire episode trying to get the piano and having Teddy just talk to him and do very weird things. At one point, he eats an ostrich egg in front of him. Yeah. Which is a... It, it is just... It, it's really... He it's, also, it sounds like he, right at the beginning, it sounds like he radios his butler to be like, get Darius some water. And yeah. then it turns out he just records stuff that he wants himself to remember to Correct. do. Correct, yeah. You know? The, the, the crazy thing about this episode is when I watched it, it it kind of feels like a horror movie. I think that it, it was definitely like a horror set episode. up with that in mind. Yeah, and it's just, it's really, it just plays out in a way that is is very intense and very cool. And so... Uh, a fun thing about it, this character of Teddy Perkins is actually played by Donald Glover. Yeah. Which, which you would I, never, I didn't, never know. Like, now that I know it, I can look at a picture of Teddy Perkins and be like, oh, okay, I can kind of see it. But, yeah, in the moment, I was like, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say, truthfully, like, it, it helps to know a little bit about Darius and his character. Even if you haven't seen Atlanta... This episode, I feel it like, stands, stands on alone. its own. I agree. It is it is one of the most interesting and maybe best episodes of TV, TV that I've seen. 
especially in the context of Atlanta as a whole, to Definitely be able to deviate from that. One of the most unique that, episodes, for yeah, sure. Uh, I just, I really appreciated it. And yeah. it, it is it is something that I will absolutely never forget. And if that's <laughs> something that you value in movies or TV shows, then this is, it's a really good episode to watch. Yeah. No, and again, it's it's so different from every other episode that it's, yeah. like we said, you know, if someone's watched Atlanta, you can be like, oh, that one episode, and they'll know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's in the same way I mentioned with the rest of the series, there is a lot that's set up in this episode that pays off, but not in the way that you expect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just, it was really awesome. Yeah. But watch the full thing. Atlanta is great. It is it is one of yeah. my favorite shows. So, And apparently Donald Glover said, I don't know if I mentioned this last time we talked about it, but Donald Glover uh, was talking about seasons three and four being released, and he claims it's some of the best TV that's going to ever hit the airwaves. So Boom. I'm excited. I'm excited. You better, you better do that, DG, Donald Glover. Yep. All right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I like hiccuped, but only the in part. Oh. <laughs> and I stopped. It was huh. weird. All right. Anyway, moving, moving on. on. <laughs> uh, so our last detour this week, since I finished Atlanta. Um, so I had I had a shift from 5 to 9 a.m. on Friday morning, yes. which I know that there are probably lots of you out there who work super early hours like that. But I was kind of salty that I had to get up to work at 5 yeah. for only four hours mm-hmm. and that it just screwed up the rest of my sleep schedule. But anyway, I went home. I have trouble napping in the middle of the day. So I finished Atlanta. And I started Servant on Apple TV. Mm -hmm. Um, I finally upgraded my phone. I had a 6S. So with my phone upgrade came a year of free Apple TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, So here's the synopsis. A Philadelphia couple is in mourning after an unspeakable tragedy creates a rift in their marriage and opens the door for a mysterious force to enter their home. So basically, the plot. Um, uh, A husband and wife recently lost their newborn child named Jericho at 13 weeks. Um, And the, the wife is having a very hard time processing this. So her therapist who is kind of hinted at throughout to be not really legit, you know, they're pretty upfront about that. um, Mm. (laughs) Gives her something called a reborn doll. Uh It looks just like their baby, but it's a doll. Um, And she basically just treats it like the baby, you know, Mm. she just goes through life treating it like the baby. And it's supposed to help her process losing her child. But the husband thinks it goes a little too far when she wants to hire a nanny for the baby. Oh. And much to the husband's surprise, once the wife leaves for work on the first day that she's there, um, and he explains the situation, she continues to, you know, he basically says, you can go enjoy the city, just be back before she gets home. Like, obviously, you don't have to take care of this fake baby. Um, But she continues acting like it's a real baby, takes care of it all day. And by the end of the first episode... The doll is gone, and there is a real living baby again. Huh. So it's very, like, did she steal a baby, you know? Or (laughs) was it somehow, like, the doll coming back to life as a baby? Yeah. Did the servant do something kind of supernatural because it's implied that she's very, very religious to bring the baby back to life? We don't know. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I've only seen three episodes, so... If you know, don't tell me. <laughs> um, I don't. But well, not you, people listening. <laughs> just, don't just tweet at me. One of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, it's directed by M Night Shyamalan, and oh. actually, one of the reasons I wanted to watch it is because it has Rupert Grint in it, who I have not seen in anything but Harry Potter and the Ed Sheeran Lego House music video. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> what so is, what has Rupert been up to? Keep going. Not not 
a whole lot. But yeah, so he he is in this. He's like a supporting character. He's not the main dad, but he is um the wife's brother who is also very good friends with the the dad. Sure. Um and I I will say like I think the only couple things that bother me a little bit are there are just a lot of close-ups that I don't necessarily think make sense sometimes hmm. okay. in terms of a, a directing choice, I guess. Um, and the other thing that's kind of interesting is that this is an Apple TV show, and this yes. is one of the first, possibly the first, I, I think it might have come out after the morning show, but one of the first Apple-exclusive shows. And it's very weird to see like branded products being used so much mm-hmm. sure. in a show. Um you know, it's not that they're out here like talking about their iPhones and specifically saying FaceTime and stuff like that all the time. Sure. But, you know, <laughs> like I remember there was a shot of like someone FaceTiming someone on their iPad and rather than, you know, you seeing the iPad from afar and then seeing whatever they're seeing of the other person, sure. you literally see a shot of the whole iPad with like the table in the background. Yeah. And it's it almost feels like, wow, look at the picture on this iPad. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally. So it's it's a little weird to have like the brand being featured being the one that is producing this yeah, sure. entity, I guess, cuz I we haven't really seen that before. You know, like Netflix doesn't create tablets and phones sure. and stuff yeah um so it's definitely an interesting element but as a whole i think the plot's really interesting so far cool and i'm having a great time well that's fantastic yeah rupert grint has done like some fine things he's been on like some tv shows but nothing like too crazy um i mean it's like they're definitely rich enough like you know yeah him daniel radcliffe and emma watson they're definitely yeah. rich enough that they don't have to do anything they don't feel like doing <laughs> fun fact uh, Grint joined Instagram in November 2020, so super recent. Really? And broke the record for fastest time to amass 1 million followers in four hours and one minute. Sheesh. Good job, Rupert. Wow. You're, a, you're an Instagram celeb, a star. A fiend. Yes. Alrighty. Anyway, so those I think are that's all we got. This week. Yeah. So when we come back, we you will be hearing The Waiting Room, created by William Leach and yes. written by Blake Benson. Yes. And once again, we apologize for the potential, like... <laughs> <laughs> during the interview um oh, this try is to ignore also an it interesting please thing. we actually oh. recorded this script a couple months ago yes we i guess we forgot to mention that. yeah and it is uh it might sound a little different because we were all sitting around uh a microphone on a carpet rather than using our regular sound equipment correct it actually will probably sound quite a bit like our last week's scripted yeah. since we did the same thing actually true so yeah you, you're used to it by now <laughs> we don't have to prep you anymore but anyway alrighty, we'll be back soon with weapons My name is Blake, and I'll be reading for The Proctor. My name is Webb, and I'll be reading for Alex. My name is Jackson, and I'll be reading for Wyatt. My name is Lauren, and I'll be reading for M. My name is Bailey, and I'll be reading for Carrie. My name is Will, and I'll be reading Action Lines. The Waiting Room, story by William Leach, written by Blake Benson. Interior, The Waiting Room, day. The body of a woman lies slumped on a couch, uncomfortably positioned, still to the point of lifelessness, and holding a glass of sparkling lemon water. The woman spasms to life, spilling the lemon water all over herself. This is M, 20s, an actress with a short temper and everything to prove. Shit! With that exclamation, we hear several other awakening gasps. 
and looks around, confused and panicked. On the surrounding couches and chairs, three other people are getting up, wearing, Hello, my name is name tags. Carrie, 20s, former sorority president and future your giggly boss, sits up, holding a mug of tea. Hmm. Wyatt, 20s, the sweetest meathead you'll ever meet, pops up from the ground. He notices the Mountain Dew in his hand. Nice. He immediately pops the top and starts drinking. And finally, Alex, 20s, they sit themselves up, looking around with the others, then at their own hands, which are conspicuously empty. M drops the now empty glass onto the couch and rockets to her feet. Who are all of you? Where am I? And who put that water in my hand? Bling! That would be me. M swivels around to see a well-dressed figure holding a neck pillow. This is the Proctor, an ageless entity that's all smiles and misplaced helpful energy. We want your time here in the waiting room to be as comfortable as possible. Hence, your favorite beverages, as well as pieces of furniture and keepsakes that held a special, comforting place in your minds. I was wondering why my ottoman was in here. I don't know what experimental performance art bullshit this is, but I've got places to be. Em marches right past the proctor and out of the front door. The proctor chuckles innocently. (laughs) That is true, but likely not in the way you meant it. You see, Em, Wyatt, Carrie, and Alex... You are all in the waiting room. We hear a door open. Everyone looks at the far end of the house as Em emerges from the back door. She looks behind her, then back at the front door. She's confused as hell. What? Because you have died. This hits all the guests differently. Carrie looks put out. Wyatt nods as if that explains everything. Alex furrows their brow as if trying to remember something or figure this out. Em, on the other hand, is visibly scared. I'm sorry. And congratulations! No, no, no. And marches for another door and heads through it. Wait, if this is a waiting room, what are we waiting for? Wonderful question. Em emerges from another door inside the house. This can't be happening. Em runs up the stairs. We actually have a few decisions that must be made before anyone is sent upstairs or downstairs. As you can see. Proctor gestures to a whiteboard near the center of the room. Maximum occupancy, three. We're slightly over capacity. So, lucky you. Em emerges from a closet. Motherfuck! One of you will be returned to the world of the living. Em's ears perk up. She runs over to Proctor and gets in their face. Listen here, Fancy. I've got a read-through I need to be at right now, so zap me back to life or whatever, or I swear I will end you where your pretty little bow-tied ass stands. The Proctor simply places the neck pillow around Em's neck. The Proctor clasps their hands. Now feels like a good time to clarify two things. One, I will not be making the decision of who returns. You all will. The proctor gestures out to them. The guests all exchange glances. Two, there are a handful of rules we have in the waiting room to ensure it remains a comfortable space for all. The proctor walks over to the whiteboard, which now reads, Rules of the Waiting Room. Underneath it are spaces for rules 1 through 26, but the spaces are blank. Next to all this sits an empty column that reads, Strikes. Now, M here would have just broken two of our rules, giving you all two strikes. The guests look on in surprise as, out of nowhere, two of the rules are now filled in. No threats and no unrequested nicknames. But for clarity's sake, we will say the rules are in place as of now. Why are they empty? Ker-squeak! The sound of the squeakiest dry erase marker imaginable. The proctor points out a tally under the strikes. They then point at a rule, now visible, which reads, No asking about the rules. We find keeping track of and clarifying all of these rules leads to undue stress in our guests. How many strikes do we get? Fifty. Now enjoy your time and this elevator music. Bling! 
The proctor is gone, and in his place, the room is filled with the soft tones of elevator music. Fifty? That'll be easy, hell yeah! Per squeak! Another tally is added, and another rule is filled out. Inside voices at all times. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay! Not the Tuesday I planned for, but that's no problem. Could you hand me the planner and glitter pens? Thank you. Uh, yeah. Alex grabs the planner and pens and hands them over. Carrie begins furiously writing. M snaps back into it. We should start with introductions. My name is- Hey, I'm sorry you're all dead, but listen to me, I just got this- Carrie slams her pen down on the coffee table. Her voice is firm, not shouting, but with the presence of a shout. No, you listen. We all know what's at stake now, and clearly a decision needs to be made. But that decision will not be made through coercion or similar underhanded tactics. I've watched civility descend into anarchy, noses broken and lives ruined for much less than this, and that will not happen again so long as I hold this pen. Bullshit. What are you, a war correspondent? I was president of Pi Beta Phi. Pledge week got intense. Oh my god. Given our situation, I would argue there isn't a god. Quiet, please. Crisquake! Another two strikes, another two rules. No interrupting your fellow guests, and no invoking deities. Bling! Carrie and Em stare at one another in silence. After a moment, Wyatt turns to Alex. I like your shirt. Where'd you get it? I don't remember. Another awkward silence. Everyone exchanging looks. When people speak, with the exception of Wyatt, they're carefully choosing their words. It's a deliberate, slow discussion. So. Introductions. Wyatt, excited, immediately returns to shouting. Oh, I'm- Everyone whips towards him with bring it down gestures. Wyatt catches himself and nods. I'm Wyatt. I'm a wrestler. Hi. Hello, Wyatt. My name is Carrie. I'm currently a law student. Hey, M. I was just cast as a series regular in Catalina's cases, so please don't make me die just before my big break. I've got a bright future for myself too, M. You're not special. Kersqueak! That's barely an insult. I would also like to be alive, please. Um, I'm Alex. Everyone waits for Alex to continue, but they don't. Great. So, if you were a sandwich, what sandwich would you be? Grilled cheese. What? We are deciding who among us will live or die. I think it's important we know each other. I swear to God, if I have Her to- squeak! M winces. Fine. Good. I've got enough icebreakers to fill all of Fall Rush, and I'm not damning anyone's soul until we've gone through at least half of them. Wyatt whoops. Woo! Alex squirms and furrows their brow. M sighs and falls back into her chair. It's icebreaker time. There are only six tallies under the strikes column. Carrie scribbles in her planner, then looks up like an expectant therapist. What was your greatest accomplishment? M almost jumps to her feet. I once spent an entire summer touring children's theaters across the country. Brought so much joy to so many kids. It would be a shame for the world to lose that so soon. I founded a nonprofit that fed six townships in Japan after the tsunami. Marrying my wife. Or being the lightweight champion of the world. Both were pretty cool. Oh, so you're like a real wrestler. And strong. Yep. Wyatt takes Alex, who's just sitting on the couch, and deadlifts them. Hello, Wyatt. Kersqueak! The only permitted physical contact is hugs. Whoops, my bad game. Wyatt drops Alex back on the couch, not too gently, and we hear a crack. Kersqueak! No destruction of waiting room decor. 
This is going to be the hardest thing ever. Grisqueak! No unnecessary hyperbole. Ugh. Montage. Strikes. 18. Everyone sits, facing one another. Pizza. Sushi. Do I need to be more specific? California roll. Sushi. Just generally, for me. Filet mignon, side of butter, whipped potatoes. None of you have much imagination. Grisqueak! I'll take that. Dive deep! We need to know each other! Strikes. 21. Quick cuts from face to face, each person sitting and changing places and positions to show time's passage. The power to fly, obviously. So I could save lives. And no plane tickets. I live in Deerfield, Massachusetts. Nice farms. I don't know about favorite, but blue's nice. Supreme Court Justice. Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. Beach. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, fuck Chris Hemsworth, marry Chris Evans, kill Chris Pratt? Boo! Kersqueak! Strikes. 33. Wyatt and Alex play Jenga. M paces, carry scribbles, and points at everyone, taking notes. So that was arms, ass, eyes, and shoulders. Got it. M spins on Wyatt and Alex. Are you two not stressed out? Nope. No. Kersqueak! Be honest about your feelings. Only one strike, huh? M looks at Alex, then Wyatt. I wish I had your blind optimism muscles. Kersqueak! Strikes. 40. M rifles through cabinets while Carrie takes out her vape. What are you doing? I'm not going to keep doing icebreakers if I have to be sober for it. Carrie shrugs and takes a hit. Kersqueak! Kersqueak! No drinking, no smoking. What? Kersqueak! Kersqueak! The whiteboard. New rule after new rule is revealed. Like, say please and thank you, and each accompanied by a kersqueak under this. That's a bad answer. They're cute. They're one of, like, three flightless birds. Oh, like, foxes are any better? They're clever. And cute. I like bears. Alex? Fox. Yeah, foxes for me, too. And montage. The strikes now read 47. Carrie and Alex sit on the edge of their seats, almost afraid to breathe. Wyatt sits, but unfazed. Em, on the other hand, lies on one of the couches, absolutely defeated. We're all going downstairs, aren't we? Just answer the icebreaker, please. Fine. I shit myself on the bus in fourth grade. <laughs> Nine! Everyone's hands, including M's, shoot out to do the bring it down gesture. Wyatt takes the hint. Nice. Okay. Alex, what's your most embarrassing memory? Um, I also crapped my pants in school. Crazy. M sits up aggressively. Hey, Alex, you haven't said a single original answer this whole time. What's your deal, dude? I, um... I don't know. Great. Great original answer. No, seriously, I don't know. Alex clasps their hands together and leans down. I don't know how all of you have answers for all of these, how you still remember who you are, because I just don't. You might have died through head trauma. Amnesia can make sense through that lens. Why didn't you say anything? I didn't want you to write me off or anything. M stands. Well, see, that's helpful. They're not going to send an amnesiac downstairs for stuff they don't remember doing. You're a shoo-in for heading upstairs. So now we just have to decide between me, Carrie, Just because and... I can't remember who I am doesn't mean I don't want to live. Silence and shock falls over the room. After a moment, kersqueak, kersqueak, strikes. 49. Carrie, as gentle as can be. Okay. Okay. We're all okay. Let's just do one more question, then make our choice. Does that work for everybody? M sits. Everyone nods. Great. Now, who would you like to have one last meal with? 
that sits with everyone for a moment as they think. Coach J, my old wrestling coach. Not your wife? I told her how much I loved her every day. No matter what happens, she'll know how I felt. But Coach died when I was 17. Still a kid. Wyatt leans over to Alex as though explaining. Wrestlers never last long. Cardiac issues got coached when he was only 31. Probably what got me, too. I'd just like one last chance to tell him how much he mattered to me. How much he still matters to me. Wyatt smiles, everyone surprised by his candor. I'd love to see Quince again. She's my sister. Growing up, she always kept me from getting too worked up about losing soccer matches or my times tables. And I was the one who got her out of the sandbox to actually do her times tables. I'd be insufferable, or even more so, without her. I want to thank her again for that. M stares at the ceiling, another long moment. Shannon Connors. She was kind of my acting mentor. She got me the Cassandra's Cases gig, and thinking about it, she got me my first survival job, too. It was a laser tag place. She taught me how to make ends meet while being an actor. How to make ramen palatable 12 meals a week, and how to be patient. That living this life wasn't about waiting for a big break, that you had to find joy in it all, beginning to end. And now, at the end, I can say I did. And she's the reason. Thanks, Shan. The sound of stifled sobs breaks the moment. Everyone looks over to see Alex crying. You okay, bud? I'm happy for you all. I, I really am. I just... I wish I had that too, you know? People who I cared about and who cared about me. And maybe I did. I, I hope I did. I, I guess I'm just a little bummed to die not knowing who I was, who made me who I was, and even if I live a good life, whatever that meant. Alex wipes a little snot and tears away and sits up. But hey, like you said, they wouldn't damn an amnesiac, so I'm fine. It's it's okay. Everyone takes this in, especially M. Silence until... Bling! The proctor returns. Wonderful. Glad you're all still here. <laughs> the proctor laughs at himself. It's an unsettling laugh that doesn't feel quite human. Just a little waiting room humor. Are we ready to make our decision? No words are said, just a few sighs and a few nods. Wonderful. Everyone, close your eyes. Fade to black. We hear the proctor administer the test. Now, if you believe Carrie should return to the living, raise your hand. Good. Put your hands down. If you believe M should return to the land of the living. The proctor's voice gradually fades into nothingness. A moment of silence in the black. Interior of the waiting room, moments later. Alex opens their eyes. They are no longer sitting on the couch, but are standing next to the front door. They're confused, looking around until they see Wyatt, Carrie, and M sitting and smiling on the stairs leading up. They're all looking at Alex expectantly, and it sinks in for Alex what this means. Congratulations, Alex Barnes. You will be returning to the living. Woo! Once again, the woo feels unnatural and inhuman. That's great. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, are they? The Proctor smiles warmly. They made good choices. Some in life, but many in here. Hopefully you, too, will see them upstairs, in time. Enjoy your life and this elevator music. Bling! The Proctor is gone and the front door swings open. Alex looks up the stairs once more to the other guests, who are all smiling wide. Not a regret in sight. Thank you all. Seriously. Of course! Find your life! It's waiting! Just get out of here. Alex starts to leave. 
And say hi to Shannon for me. Alex disappears into the brightness of the outside world. Carrie and Wyatt make their way up the stairs, chatting about nothing much, while Em gives the front door one last look. So how did you become a professional wrestler? Well, it helps to be big, which I'm not, so what I did was- Em smiles one last time and heads up the stairs to join the others. The three disappear into the upstairs door. Fade to black. Everybody, welcome back to the Green Light Podcast. Green Light. Green Light. Wow. <laughs> if you that. heard four voices, you counted correctly. Because Lauren and I are here today with the <laughs> writer and creator of Waiting Room. Is it Waiting Room or The Waiting Room? The Waiting Room. The Waiting the, Room. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me. How Their voices you? probably sound familiar, but I'll let them introduce themselves one more time. What up? <laughs> Sorry, that was really loud. That's My okay. name's Will, and I'm the creator. What's your last name, Will? Oh, Leech. Like the blood-sucking animal. Yep. <laughs> Except it's not spelled that way, so I don't know. Correct. <laughs> it, is, it is different. Anyways. And I am Blake Benson, and I'm the writer for The Waiting Room. Yes, so as yeah. you know, Blake and Will have been on here. Uh, we've interviewed Blake before, because we've read one of his scripts, and both of them have been on here uh, reading for us and just being great friends overall. But today Aww. we have their script. Well, he can never take wow. that back because it's been immortal. Yeah, true. I'm going to cut it out. No, I'm going to cut that out. Uh, I don't want that on air. But... Yeah, so this is, <laughs> we we might, future us might talk about this a little bit in the intro, but basically yeah. uh, The Waiting Room, the script that you just heard, is a concept that Will came up with that Blake executed mm-hmm. uh, yeah. with his fabulous writing skills. So yeah. yeah, so let's go ahead and start talking about that. Talk about your collaboration on this piece from the conception through the writing process. I mean, start with conception. Will, that be you. I think Will's laughing at the word conception. I, I no, I'm uh. laughing because so far we've used such diplomatic language of saying Will had an idea and Blake did all the work. <laughs> Which is, for the most We're part... We're getting down and I'm, dirty here yeah, on the green light. <laughs> I'm not going to act like that's not very true. Well, no, like I, you get into conception and then we'll talk about it because it was, it was a very good process working with you on this. So, Aww. Aww. So awesome. Look at them. Um, wow. So basically I had just had... I find myself just really interested in like the idea of like moral absolutes and just like human behavior and i just feel like in a time where we're kind of relying on content that is all about sort of like unfortunately the really terrible sides of humanity right now mm-hmm. just because we just all came out of 2020 um i like the idea of doing a piece or coming up with a concept where it's like even when um, humans are being tempted with like the most intense decision of their life, they would still choose what is right or what is just over what is selfish. And so that's kind of what I think really inspires this piece the most. Well, that's great. Nice. Um, and then you handed it off to Blake. I did. I basically wrote like a paragraph. Okay. Um, maybe. <laughs> no, give yourself think, some credit. No, no, you wrote a page. I think I, wrote like a, I think I wrote like a full page. Basically, I didn't give any characters like names or anything, but I, I gave pretty hard concepts of like, I have this idea of this sort of like, third person entity um who we've now dubbed the proctor Mm -hmm. um uh, a group of very specific archetypes i wanted people that we'd be familiar with um but that could still like become their own personalities which blake was able to obviously really flesh out so uh, you know i i think initially we had the idea of like 
the really smart girl, um, sorority girl. I think they ended up being the both, both the same actually for this one. Sorority and smart, kind of the same. Yeah. Um, and then we have an actress, we have an athlete, and then um, we've also got the character who does not know who they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of plain Jane, Joe, buddy pal. You're. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, perfect description. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So here's my page. Here's what I want the plot to follow. And Blake said, "I'll fill in every other detail you didn't give me." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, talk about that, Blake. And um, so obviously, I, I guess initially when you started writing, you probably wrote mostly from a place of you came up with the ideas and then executed them the full thing. But now with this script and also with you know having other to write specs, specs for stuff. things, just talk about that process. How you take someone else's idea and then develop it. Honestly, it's so much easier. <laughs> I wish I could just do stuff like this. Uh, but yeah, no, like coming up with an idea and particularly like the onus of a story, uh, because that was one thing I really appreciated working with Will is I was able to ask him, I'm like, okay, like out of these characters, because it's kind of an ensemble piece, yep. uh, really determining, okay, whose story is this? Like, what is the thematic element of this story that like is is at the heart of it? Because mm-hmm. uh, I was actually kind of personally torn when I was, uh, doing like an outline out of Will's outline was it between Alex or oh, gosh it's been a while since we M, recorded uh, yes actor. and M okay mm-hmm. yeah M and Alex I was kind of torn between whose story we really want to be like kind of our focal point because uh, both are very interesting from either side both right you know both are fleshed out mm-hmm. to an extent but which one uh, is the one we're viewing it through as the uh, audience uh, and so getting to talk with Will about that, about like, uh, yeah, talking to Will about what he wanted the story to be is really nice because when I'm writing, I don't get to ask myself, okay, let's talk <laughs> about what the story yeah. is because I'm just rambling at myself and it's much less helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Have you ever, um, I guess I know we had that product for a- project for adaptation, but have you had like a writing partner before where it was more of you both coming up with the ideas and then both doing that and do you think that's different? How, how do you think that would work differently for you? I've... Worked with people, I I don't know. I, yeah, I, I have done the writing partner thing before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely find it a bit more challenging. Yeah. Uh, like, I like this notion. I like getting, like, a story and then writing all of it. Sure. Uh, it keeps them very separate. But when you have two people trying to tell the same story, it comes down to the point of, like, what you're trying to create. And I think yeah. the best way to phrase it is like, you know, we each have our own perspectives right. and those perspectives are going to come through in the words themselves. Totally. If you have two people doing the words at the same time, yeah. it's going to be a little different. Oh For yeah. Sure. Totally, I know totally. you always, you always like to point out when we're watching something, Oh, two, three screenwriters. Here yeah. it is. <laughs> you <Yeah>. can tell. <laughs> it's that or when it's directed and written by the same person. Oh, that uh, too. They, you can tell yes. both very yeah. strongly. Totally fair. Yeah. Totally fair. <laughs> so uh, kind of a little spinoff yeah. question there. Will, what was it like to have someone take your idea and execute it? So here's the thing. Okay. I feel like I am good at concept, but I've always, I've never been a creative writer. Okay. So it was honestly really easy because I think things can be more challenging when you have two people who are equally strong at one thing, collaborating on something that they both consider themselves good at, right? Yeah. This I felt like was a little bit easier because as somebody who comes from more of like a directing, producing concept background and yeah, somebody totally. who works in like design and marketing, that's the stuff my brain works best with. Yeah. So for me, it was really easy 
because that's just how I'm used to working. Sure, um, sure, sure, sure. Or spitting out ideas. Spitting yeah. out ideas and helping fill them in with broader concepts and niching them down, but filling in when it comes to detail and narrative and things like that, that is not, and like making it fun along the way. Like <laughs> I've always been a good academic writer, but the truth is I, no one would buy my book. You know sure. what I mean? Like I'll just be honest. And sure. So I, I felt like it was really easy being able to just, you know, and like you said, the, the back and forth of being able to ask questions and ask at the end of the day, like what is the goal? Like what are we trying to get across? and like who is our audience yeah um, those are things that i understand very well and i can sure. provide a good answer for and blake is easy at easy at huh. blake is very talented at taking that information and translating it through text no totally sure. well it sounds like the two of you are a match made in heaven yeah and wow. i'll say like even when i <laughs> kiss, finished writing kiss, it i was kiss. like all right got a, a draft i'm happy with brought it to will. i was like okay i was ready to get it like torn apart have to really change major <laughs> yeah. elements yeah and then will was just like you nailed it. Good job. No, I was yeah. really, And then during the first read-through with everybody, too, every, we were like, it, it, all right, everybody, what do you think? And everyone was like, thumbs up. It feels good, yeah. yeah. It, it's just a good, it's, I mean, well done from conception to writing. There you Thank go. You. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we have, um, let's, let's dive into the script itself a little bit. Um, so, there are a lot of, like, TV shows and movies that introduce different possibilities for what, like, after life, uh, life after death looks like. But this one has very unique characteristics. So talk about your uh, uh, world building process and how you like set up this sort of like purgatory area. <laughs> do we start with the hmm. a funny question? Thing, do we start with no exit or do we? <laughs> Huh. So we figured it would come up. <laughs> we didn't want to ask about it specifically. I'll start by saying that I I believe when we were talking about general world building and like tone and feel, I I mostly described it as very um if you were to combine the good place mm. with um what else did I say? I had like two or three that I told you, but the good place is the only one that just came to my mind. That's fair. It's a good um, one. But that was definitely the main one. Just this idea of like moral questioning and human behavior, but within like a, an abstract concept that we're all familiar with, but you yeah. can create your own rules, if that makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like this, it's this third body idea of like what the afterlife or the intermediate could be like, create your own rules. However, let it follow something loose enough mm -hmm. to what everybody's sort of base understanding of afterlife is, and then throw in the, you know, a basic human theme of forgiveness and <laughs> toss it in there, mix it all up. <laughs> yeah. You got you yourself a I script. Mean? Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the, the world building kind of on my end came down to two things. One was differentiating it from those properties that were based yeah, on. Totally. It definitely does lean heavily on the no exits, the good place. Uh, I would say good place, especially. I mean, you can find, easy parallels between our characters and theirs. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is kind of by design because those characters, both in that show and in this, uh, serve similar functions as to people who are rebelling against the system, people are going along with it, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was a big part of that, making it at least distinct enough that it was its own world. Mm -hmm. uh, but the second part, uh, and this was something we kind of came into together, was uh, focusing on this a world, uh, a purgatory focused on comfort yeah because uh, that's sure. not something we've yeah. seen a lot when a lot. it comes to purgatory mm -hmm. um and uh we really try to make it down so that uh the proctor all of the rules the environment itself all based around this idea of this is the most comfortable place you can mm -hmm. wait uh before well, you go mm -hmm. yeah. yeah nice yeah that's really yeah i i, I like mean it idea. would be great if you know 
I was freaked out about dying, and they were like, hey, here's your favorite chair. Yeah. And some yeah. hot chocolate. And, right. the, no, and the thing I love about it is it is about comfort, but I mean, as you see in the screenplay itself, uh, it's not comfortable for a lot of people. Right. And yeah. For sure. Yeah, and that's the like, idea. Like, they try to exactly. do their best. Yeah it's, yeah, it's the idea of comfort as opposed to actual yeah. comfort. And, like, yeah. whether, kind of, like, choosing what can let you be comfortable in a moment and, like, what you allow to kind of work you up, which I think we see through some of specific characters narratives as well yeah absolutely i think that's that's shown pretty well so i think another thing that might have impacted the world building a little bit was um this idea partially sprung out of a desire to create a film together with a lot of the people we have living in this house a plus web so (laughs) talk about the the pros and cons of writing for a specific group of people and a specific location i mean i find it's uh, a lot easier in that respect uh, there's a lot of freedom in knowing, you know, you can write anywhere, write anyone, uh, but then it comes down to actually getting it made, and that's the challenge. Yeah, uh, totally. But knowing you're writing for a space, writing for certain people, you can really lean into the uh, better qualities of that space. Our house has a lot of doors in different places. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> use that. Yeah. yeah, and I know our house, kind of the acting talents, what people are really strong at, and I kind of leaned into that when creating the characters. Uh, and so, I mean, it's a pretty generic answer, but uh, yeah, just lean into what you have. Right. Yeah, totally. Is that is that sort of what you had in mind as well when you were coming up with this? Or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I knew that it was a plan as a house to try to make some fun stuff. Um, so obviously, my mindset, especially because, you know, we're still in pandemic time. So it's like, of course, you know, yeah. you're, you're definitely thinking of it from the lens of um, who do we have? But also, like, I feel like when we develop the characters and we kind of started with like archetypes and then niche them down more specific we were also thinking of like what are some people or characters who will be complex enough but their greater idea of who they are is very like easily accessible to our actors if that makes sense mm-hmm. like yeah, sure. tap into um and it also like you said it helps that the concept is this space that is supposed to self-generate to reflect the people in it and we can record it in a living room full of all our own little bits and pieces (laughs) yeah Yeah. and all our all our mismatched furniture yeah exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) that is real folks that's not a that's not a fake thing and you will see it (laughs) yes you will yes you will uh so sort of our last script question for you um what happens next for alex as as he journeys back into yeah. this uh, the the real world, do you does have he, any? Do you he have any idea? Remember this experience yeah. or no? Yeah. Will, do you have any? Uh, I'll start with conception. <laughs> will uh, Will Will is laughing. You go ahead, and then I'll tell you what my mindset was. Okay. 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 Uh, I imagine it as a complete uh, a complete amnesia, no remembering whatsoever, because uh, I think of this space as just so completely separate. Um, Mm -hmm. from anything else. I mean, even the upstairs and downstairs as discussed in the play, it is such its own entity that like what happens in the waiting room stays in the waiting room, I Mm -hmm. suppose. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's fair. I had also thought that, you know, this probably isn't the first time that this has happened, you know, that Proctor has had to get a bunch of people to vote somebody back into the land of the living. And since, you know, in the real world, in, in this script people on the outside don't know about this. Correct. I guess I had to assume that probably they don't remember. Right. Totally. Yeah, sure. Will? Yeah. After I, your chuckles? <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess because in my brain, I think of it of like, Alex comes back to life. And then to me, I think of it as a sequel and like what I think would be interesting in a sequel. Um, and so I agree fully on the idea of like, you go back and 
Alex experiences changes in like his behavior and the way he thinks about things, but he doesn't understand the source of where it comes from, right? Because he hmm. can't truly. It's that twofold. He's still an amnesiac. He left a new part of himself behind in the waiting room, right. which is sort mm-hmm. of this interesting double-edged sword and i like the idea of that being reflected almost in and i know this is going to sound nihilistic of me but (laughs) he i like the idea of alex is re is reborn or not reborn but alex is given his life back he's given that second chance right Mm -hmm. but then we now experience alex in this world that is very like mundane not fit for comfort not fit for and he's somehow so tied to all these things that he keeps getting pulled back to this idea of like goodness and your fellow man and Mm. blah 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 because he he has this vague intense memory of being in what is supposed to be the simulation of the most selfless place you could possibly be right and he's put back into human life and like what does that look like and how can he then take what he learned Mm -hmm. and bring an aspect of the waiting room and that abstract concept to mundane less than kind life sure sure and i think you kind of answered this but i i mean there might not be a specific answer but i had kind of wondered reading this what kind of person alex was because we really don't know like he could have been a gangster for all we know you know like please tell me he was a gangster (laughs) like look at me i'm just looking at web right now in my head yeah i i won't speak for what you might have in mind but i know when i think of it the catch all of Alex is that he gets chosen to be the one to keep his life because he won't be able to go forward into because that's like the concept right is Mm -hmm. if they don't vote for Alex he goes to the upstairs but without memory of what his life on earth was like because he can't recall I like the idea that Alex is given the second chance even though he's very normal he's very you know he's surrounded Mm. by these people who we kind of embellish as very smart very accomplished had a lot going for them athletic athletically capable right yeah and yet in this moment humanity took over and these people who had all these really awesome gifts that they you know spend time arguing about why they deserve to be reborn yeah yet they chose to give alex someone who could be very normal and likely very much is because he is your average person i like to think that that kind of that idea speaks to just sort of the idea that everyone has value mm-hmm. no yeah. matter what they're contributing so i like the idea that he is normal and very mundane mm-hmm. because then i think it just deepens the lesson personally yeah, yeah i agree all right now blake tell me he's a gangster <laughs> he's 100 percent a gangster Thank God. Uh, <laughs> no like he's uh, a pirate uh, I, it's interesting listening to will talk about the idea of like if alex went up in you know upstairs uh i never once considered uh Alex would never go upstairs. Alex was always going to be the one going back because, I mean, the person running all this is the proctor. This is a test, uh, first Uh, and foremost. Uh, And it's a test for the other three characters. Uh, Because, yeah, because it's more reflective. And that's kind of the thing, us diving so deep into Mm -hmm. Alex. I honestly didn't dive that deep into Alex in the writing of them because I found, uh, yeah, Alex as a blank slate was the point. Yeah, Uh, totally. For sure. I mean, yeah, that makes sense just because... You know, if you come up with a whole backstory, it's hard to not have that come through, I guess. Yeah. Right. And that's, it, it that's wouldn't. That's whole own story. Yeah. 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 All right. I'll put my gangster dreams to the side. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, all right. Now we're going to jump into some some fun personal questions. Yeah. And some questions about you. They are squ- script adjacent. Okay. They are, shall we say, death themed. And no, you'll not understand quite, that. Not quite. <laughs> Only a little. We'll see. <laughs> uh, all right. If you had to pick one last meal, what would it be? 
Okay, take your time. 1,001. I, I actually haven't thought of mine either, to be honest. Well, okay, I can at least start on mine. Okay. If you guys need to think. But if please, you're ready, Blake, no, go for it. Well, I have on. a question, and then you okay. say yours. Okay. Uh, how long between last meal and death? are we like what's like how hungry are we like how hungry like how much how full do i have to be before i i kick it <laughs> i mean i don't know as, as much as you want i guess i i'm a bit confused meal. with the question i uh, think blake is saying tell- can he have a buffet like can he have multiple well, options that's not what i'm asking no. what i'm asking is like okay final meal at 5 p.m death at 6 or is it final meal at 5 p.m death at 5 15 how much time do we got oh. how much time do i have not so much for how long it'll take me to eat the meal but more so because like if I like am like grossful, like I, I oh, might sure. want that. But if it's like, oh, I just a little snacky. Sure. Like, hmm. uh, let's. I would say you have time. Like, let's say right. five is dinner yeah. time, seven is death time. Well, so I you got a couple say, hours how do to they, let it sit. How do they do executions? Isn't the last meal like the <laughs> night before, and then like they execute you the next morning? I'm being I serious. No <laughs> I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it's usually like a dinner thing. In and our world, are early in, in the our morning. world, five p.m. dinner, seven okay. p.m. Death. Early dinner, <laughs> yes. Later evening, death. Got yes, it. sir. Uh, then in that case, you know, burger and fries. Burger and fries. <laughs> but like, which burger? I don't blame you. Which I, I burger and fries? I am upset. Which place? <laughs> I'm upset because Blake asked this question and we talked about it and he said burger and fries. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah, that's a good question. Specify. Do you have a favorite burger place? Uh, it's saying it's uh, probably, and I'm probably just saying this because I've had it very recently, Chili's. Chili's. Yeah. It's Chili's. Uh, like it's, they, they had just a nostalgic food. home feeling. Totally. I mean, I know it's a national chain, uh, but you know, I grew up in suburbia. National chains is home for yeah, suburbia. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I know... Oh, oh you, go you ahead. ready? Please, please, please keep going. You. Go. <laughs> okay. I'm trying, to, I'm trying so hard to think in my head. Um, well, okay. So, the the guy who ran, like, Pyro at when I worked at Tecumseh, this guy, Raybud Speakman. Um, Raybud, shout out if you're listening. Yeah, <laughs> he's probably not. But um, every once in a while, he would grill and basically be like, if you bring me meat, I will grill it. <laughs> so, oh, okay. um... So one of my friends, uh, David DeWitt for short, um, he shout out DeWitt. Yeah, shout out DeWitt. He also has a podcast. It's about mythology. It's called In the Beginning. So okay. check that out, I guess. Cool. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, he wanted me to teach him how to do some archery. So he had like a steak in his mini fridge in his cabin, and he basically paid me. And here's this raw steak that you can give to Raybud hmm. to make, and it was the best steak I have ever. Had. So a Raybud cooked steak. A Raybud cooked steak would be your final. And meal. I don't know. You mentioned chilies. I think I want some chilies fried pickles. <laughs> okay, mm, that's fair. That's a good point. All right, well, you've had time to think. Okay, so I was thinking it over. Okay. And this may fall like outside of the spectrum of what we mean by our last meal. However, if it were possible. Okay. So before my grandpa passed, he used to be the one who would always cook for like holidays, like Christmas Mm -hmm. and Thanksgiving. And he almost always made the same types of finger foods. Yeah. But you best believe they were the favorites, right? Sure. And ever since he passed, like we just aren't able to replicate it the same way. Mm -hmm. So I personally, like for my last meal, would just like love in like concept as close to what it was like when my grandpa used to make Thanksgiving finger foods or Christmas. Yeah. I would die. And if that's not a possibility, if I okay. would die, that. if you ate it, there <laughs> you okay. go. Correct. Correct. Um, if not, honestly, y'all know I love some 
boneless buffalo wings with some mm. parmesan fries true ranch dressing and a large diet coke from mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> gotta get that mcdonald's diet coke in there we know that and now that you say it wings because we, we talked about this before lauren about how eating wings are like an experience it really especially is. like if you get bone-in wings like it's like a that's a thing you sit down to do. Yeah, so for much sure. work. I Blake, but it's it is worth, worth it. it. It's worth it. And for my final meal, I might have to go maybe like pizza and wings because I also love yeah. pizza. So okay. I think that would be for me. Pizza from where? Pizza. Oh God. Okay, so the I don't remember the place, but when I was younger, my grandparents took us on a trip to Sedona, Arizona, which is beautiful. But we also went to this one pizza place there, and it's the best pizza I've ever had. So pizza from that place. Okay. Buffalo chicken pizza from that place because that's nice. what we had. Mm-hmm. So lo- <laughs> lots of wing-related items. Yeah. <laughs> okay, another slight death-adjacent thing. Name one item on your bucket list. Something you have to do before you die. Ooh. That's a good one. Death, 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 death. <laughs> Stop it. That's Any skydivers here? Absolutely no. not. Rocky Mountain climbers? Mm, no. I'm, 2.7 like, seconds? You know what? Actually, one of my biggest dreams is to just take a month at least off and i would love to either backpack europe or asia Mm. like with someone or even by myself if i was by myself i'd rather do europe just because i speak french sure i'd like to have someone to go with me to backpack just because like if i'm confused i have somebody else yes you would play good job (laughs) Um, but yeah definitely backpacking either of those continents to the best of my ability for just a solid month that would be great that sounds awesome yeah that sounds great this Likely. is the exact opposite of topical, but uh, perform on a cruise ship. Mm. Huh. <laughs> Interesting tr- choice. Interesting choice. We uh, we talked about below deck last week, Stop. and that's like a yacht. So it's, <laughs> that's so much smaller and it, so much worse. Yeah, it's yeah, on the water true. though. <laughs> It's, it's still a boat. That's interesting. What would you say perform? Do you have specific, like sing or comedy? Musical theater or improv uh, mm-hmm. would probably be the two because I know those both happen on cruise ships. Yeah. Uh, sure. And you so, happen to do both. And I happen yeah. to do both. Uh, but yeah, those would both be fun uh, as opposed to below deck where I'd have to serve the rich. Which That's fair. I already have to do a lot of the time. I don't enjoy. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, well yeah, yeah those are great. Alrighty. This is another one that might make you think a little bit, but it's our last question. Who is one person who you'd want to either have a drink with or a meal with in heaven? So someone who's dead. Or upstairs in the case of this script. Enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Death, 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 death. <laughs> Do you have one, Lauren? Off the top of your head? You know, in my Waldo head, I was going head. to start doing Jeopardy music, and then oh. I thought maybe Alex Trebek. I was thinking Alex Trebek the other day, too. But Partially I don't know. I'm Jeopardy sure calendar. I could... It's just like, I'm sure I could think of someone who has a more personal connection to me. At the same time, though, I just feel like Alex Trebek would be just so great to sure. meet. Yeah. Yeah. To that point, uh, probably Mr. Robbins. Uh, or uh, Mr. Mr. Rogers? Rogers. Mr. Rogers. So I know him really well. Uh, <laughs> no, he would that's, be great. That's he would totally be great. Fair, just though. seems like yeah. the most wholesome guy. Yeah, yeah Mr. Rogers. Because uh, I feel like he'd just be able to like talk me through a few things. Absolutely. And just like, like, be like, all right, thanks, man. And he'd be grateful to do it. Did you see the documentary? What was it called? Won't You Be My Neighbor? I yeah. did, and it made me weep. I cried. It's, and the, his outlook on life is just incredible. Yeah, and I, I should think. clarify. Like, I didn't watch Mr. Rogers growing up, hence calling oh, really? him Mr. Robbins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> occasionally came on at school. But like, no, it's just like, I want to talk to someone who... I think we'll have a really good perspective. Mm. And particularly really at the point. end of it all, uh, even more so. Yeah. For sure. I feel like my, because my mom watched Mr. Rogers a lot, you know, like, I don't 
I don't remember when it first started, so I don't know if it was around when she was like a young kid. Um, Mom, Again. if you're listening to this, let me know. But um, but she definitely was always a huge fan of it, and it was also a lot of it was like shot in Pittsburgh and stuff like that. Oh, so really? I don't know yeah, that. so they have like a ton of Mr. Rogers stuff in like the Pittsburgh Museum. But oh cool. Um, but yeah, so she always wanted to make sure I watched it growing up, and I thought it was so boring. But mm. I appreciate it much more as an adult. There you go. All right, well, have you had time to think? I have. Okay. So I this is. I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? No, this is definitely the type of conversation I'd like to have. I was thinking about who has made an impact on my life but wouldn't know it, Mm. and I would love the chance to sit with someone and let them know how much they were able to influence me without ever thinking they could. Yeah. And the person that comes to my mind for that would be Marsha P. Johnson. Okay. Yeah, the first... She was the... Uh, black trans woman who threw the first brick at Stonewall. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think about how my life is, I could cry just thinking about it. Oh my God, well, shut up. <laughs> just, just like, I don't think she knew in that moment what she was about to start for people. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my God, I could literally, I'm such a baby. I, I literally like <laughs> no, sit in front great. of this woman and be like, you did so much for so many and you had no idea. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. at that time in her life, she was in many ways probably at her lowest low. Mm-hmm. So to hear that she would come out that like a treasure for so many, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm so dramatic. Anyway, it would be Marsha P. Johnson. Yeah. She's awesome. That's a great choice. <laughs> no, that is, that is a great choice and a great way to end our episode. Yeah. yeah. Right, so that's the end. <laughs> yeah. No more questions. No more questions. Stop asking me questions, please. <laughs> yes. Uh, so if you would like to get in, co- in contact with Blake or Will, pick their brain about who they'd like to sit down and have a final drink with or about the script or... Well, we're producing the script, so you can't really True. produce it. Uh. But if you want to pick their brains, their emails will be in our description. Do you all have anything you'd like to plug before we before we let you go? Not a bit. I mean, I always... <laughs> so, I do freelance graphic design and, like, media work, um, so follow my Insta. We'll put I your recently, Instagram in our description uh, well, as well. I recently changed it, so make sure you... It's Wilma, I'll do the new one. It's yeah. Wilma Lynn now. Yeah, yeah. Which is just, like, cute and fun, and sure. my, my stepmom can't find me. <laughs> Sorry, Ho- hope you're not listening, stepmom. There's no way. I would, I would literally. <laughs> what if she was our biggest fan? Shout out to you, stepmom. Stop! Don't give me that look for it. If y'all could prove my stepmom listened to any episode, oh, it of wasn't, this podcast, it wasn't that. It was just because uh, you swore. That was all. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Broke a rule and not good for true, TV. true for radio. Well, but yes, we my will bad. put all of that info in our description, and. That's going to be it for us. Yeah, totally. That's all for now, folks. Alrighty. Say goodbye to the people, everyone. Bye. Bye. To the people. Bye. Bye. Bye, people.